As we continue our Lenten series on the seven deadly sins, our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. I invite you to read along. If you do not have a Bible, please feel free to use one of the red pew Bibles. It should be in front of you. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1. I'm going to sneak in verse 3 as well, so 1 through 3. I cleared it with Jordan ahead of time to do that. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I originally had verse 3, and then I don't know what happened. I, uh, I guess I decided not to, but I, I don't know what my reasoning was then. So <laughs> I gave one to the verses 1 through 2. So, um, Well, it's good to see everyone. Like I said, I'm, uh, I'm Jordan. I'm the youth director here. Pastor Eric is not here because uh, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe Elizabeth's grandparents are celebrating their 70th anniversary. Um, so yeah, big occasion for them. So they wanted to, to go and celebrate that. Um, yeah, again, I'm not, don't quote me on that, but I think, I think it was 70 years. It was a big deal. So, um, <clears throat> we've been going through the, uh, seven deadly sins, uh, during this Lenten season. Um, so Pastor Eric, so far he's gone over wrath, gluttony, and lust. Uh, and today we'll look at envy. And I, I think for every sermon so far, there's been like some, uh, you know, almost obligatory joke about, you know, that sin of the day or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I'm envious of all of you who got a good night's sleep last night uh, because our kids have decided that nighttime is arbitrary. It doesn't mean anything. So it's chaos. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, the, the obligatory joke at the beginning, that's not a jab at Pastor Rick. I would do the same exact thing if I were preaching each of the sermons. Uh, but now we'll see how self-conscious he is next week when he, uh, when he makes a joke. Uh, you know, this joke better kill. He'll have to think to himself. So, <clears throat> Anyways, let's jump into the sermon. Uh, I think it's always helpful to define our terms before we can properly dive in. We're looking at envy today. Uh, and so envy is something that, for me... Uh, was something that I never really think about. Um, before I was preparing this sermon, um, I was thinking, you know, envy is not really something that I struggle with. Uh, so, of course, this last week, God was showing me all the ways that I struggle with envy uh, as, I was, as I was doing my research and preparing the sermon. So, a week of humility for me. Uh, now it's my turn to give you your dose. So, I hope that you're, you're ready for that. That's the fun part for me. So, uh, but first we should define what is envy, and I think in order to do that, we also have to uh, define another word as well. And so we're looking at two terms. We're looking at jealousy and envy. Uh, and I do think that there's a difference. H.D. Uh, <clears throat> uh, McDonald in the uh, New Bible Dictionary, he says that jealousy makes us fear to lose what we already possess. And envy creates sorrow that others have that we have not. So jealousy happens when you already have a thing and you feel that that is threatened, yeah, that you fear losing it. But envy is something that, that happens when you want something that you don't have. Um, and so uh, Diane and I, uh, when Josiah was born, we were worried that Petra was going to be jealous of Josiah. 
uh, when he was born. And so uh, because of the attention that she already had from the both of us, you know, now there's another baby, you know, the attention's going to be split. Um, and so we were worried that she would be jealous about that. <clears throat> now we were fortunate, and that never really happened. Uh, she, I don't know, she mostly ignored Josiah the first, you know, while of his life. So, uh, you know, occasionally I'd point out, baby! And then that was, that was all the attention that she'd pay him. So uh, no real jealousy was happening there. However, Petra has definitely been envious of Josiah. For instance, just this last week, uh, Josiah, you know, he's four months old. He has just a few toys, uh, you know, mostly rattles or, you know, chewing teething rings or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, they're all very basic. Uh, but when Josiah is playing with a toy, all of a sudden Petra would very much like to have that toy. Uh, despite the fact that she's got a bunch of stuff that she's playing with. Uh, and so I remember she, she would literally take the toy from Josiah. And this, this last week, he's chewing on something. Takes the toy from him, goes back to whatever she was doing, just sets the toy next to her, you know? Like, it wasn't important that she had it, or that, that she played with it. It was just important that she had it, because she didn't have it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we laugh at that, because, of course, it's absurd. Like, why, why would she do that? Uh, she doesn't even need it. Um, and it gets even more basic. I mean, I've given Josiah just a block, you know, a little Lego block, and Petra will, like, have to have that block right then. So, um, <clears throat> and so we laugh about that. And yet there's something about seeing a child sin in those ways because it indicates something untaught that dwells deep within the hearts of humanity, I think. There's something about our sinful nature that makes us discontent. And really, that's what envy is. It's sorrow from discontentment. We are not satisfied uh, with what we have. We're not satisfied with where we're at in life. <clears throat> so while we rightly think that Petra is being ridiculous uh, for taking the, the toy from Josiah and not even playing with it, the truth is that that discontentment tends to lie deep within all of us. There's always something more that we want. Uh, think about what our prayers to God tend to be even. Right? I mean, it's, it's usually a long list of petitions. You know, God, I pray for this and, and that. You know, I pray that you would provide for us in these ways. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Scripture even explicitly says to pray for those things. But I do think it says something about our heart that we're, you know, often our, our prayers are probably, if we're honest, probably 80% uh, made up of, of asking God for something. You know, I, I need something more in my life. Uh, so I, I do think it reveals something about our natural attitudes uh, towards the positions, uh, uh, towards our stations in life. <clears throat> so looking at envy then, I think we then have to ask, okay, what, what is it that we tend to envy? What is it that we covet? Well, firstly, we covet what is near to us. I uh, can't believe I'm quoting this movie, but in the movie Signs of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter says that we covet what we see every day. And I think that there's uh, a lot of truth to that. You know, I highly doubt that any of us actually stews on what Michael Jordan or, uh, you know, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett are, are able to enjoy with their, you know, massive amounts of wealth. Uh, because they're so far away from us. You know, we, we have no connection to them. We're not, you know, none of us were ex-NBA players. I don't think it, at least, anyways. Uh, none of us, you know, had a, a huge tech corporation that was bringing in, you know, billions of dollars. Uh, so we don't compare ourselves to those people. We compare ourselves to people who are nearby, okay, those that we share maybe similar social status or, or sim similar economic status. Um, you know, we notice when our neighbors 
drive in with a nice new car, right? Uh, we notice uh, those physical things that they get. <clears throat> we desire what others have physically in their possession. And so this was the first thing that God showed me, okay? Envy admission number one. I remember when we, uh, we got all that snow a few weeks ago. Pastor Eric actually talked about this a little bit as well, but, but this is my, my perspective on it. Uh, we got all that snow, and so I went out shoveling, and, you know, I'm doing fine. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that, you know, like pretty much everyone in my neighborhood has a snowblower. And so they're like done with their driveway within, you know, minutes. And here I am. It's taking me over an hour to do it. Uh, and so I thought in that moment, yeah, you know, man, I wish I had that snowblower. That'd be really nice right now. Uh, you know, and so, uh, but, but we do that all the time. You know, we notice what our neighbors have, right? We, we notice what they're doing with their homes or, uh, you know, the things that they're, they're bringing in. And so um, <clears throat> there's something about our heart that, that, you know, we covet what we see every day. There are also relationships that can cause us to be envious. Uh, maybe there's that guy or girl that you wish would notice you, but they're with someone else or uh, even unromantic relationships. Envy admission number two for me. I grew up without a father, uh, and I was adopted into a single-parent home. And so I would notice the special bond that my friends had with their dads, uh, you know, and, and I would want that for myself, you know. Why, why don't I have a dad to, to love me like that? Um, <clears throat> it sounds sadder than it is. It didn't affect me as much as I'm making it sound. It really didn't. But, but when you see it right in front of your face, you know, you want that. You, you want something like that. Um, and so it, at times, would cause me to be a little bitter, uh, to feel entitled to, to that kind of love. Uh, and so I remember I was reading a book by Don Miller, uh, author who wrote Blue Like Jazz, but uh, he wrote this in another book called Father Fiction. Uh, he experienced something similar. I grew up kind of without a dad in the picture. And, uh, and I remember him describing everything I was feeling. Uh, you know, he, he talked about seeing that and, and how it was painful and, and, and all that stuff. And so uh, I expected him to, to condemn those people for not caring enough about, about uh, him, you know, or about us. And I remember uh, that's not what he said. And instead, he said, you know, they, they, they don't love us in the same way. And that's a bum deal for you and me. And I remember that that, was, uh, that rang true. You know, uh, it was a harsh but true reality. Yeah, th- those, those other dads, they don't owe us anything, right? Uh, there's... there's Nothing that they should have to give me, uh, some friend who's tagging along, right? Um, but there's something in our heart that says, you know, I want that. <clears throat> and so uh, even though it was unjust, you know, that I, that I didn't have a dad, um, it doesn't mean that, that I can now grow resentful towards those that, that do have dads, right? Or, or towards those who, uh, you know, yeah, are able to experience those things. Um, I think there's... Uh, yeah, great, great wisdom in what Don Miller was saying there. Um, and envy, I think, is tricky, too, because it can go undetected, um, or perhaps detected but justified uh, in our minds, that we actually suffered an injustice, um, and yet, uh, and so we, we, we take that injustice and we say, okay, it's okay that I feel this way. It's okay that I, that I harbor this resentment or this bitterness. Um, consider grief or loss. Um, this is something that I think has touched a lot of people in this church. Um, you know, it, it is very easy for envy to take a hold of that and to, to uh, develop deep roots in your heart 
um, that can completely destroy your life if you allow it to. Um, so yes, grief, uh, when, when we're mourning the loss of something or mourning uh, something that should be or should not be, um, we are right in saying that this is not how it should be. And yet, uh, those injustices, those, those, uh, those losses do not entitle us um, or give us the right to harbor sin in our hearts. We have to move beyond that. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll talk, about more, talk about that more later. But uh, it can also go undetected because it can sneak itself into good things. Uh, I find it curious, uh, all these what I call financial diet programs, you know, the, the budgeting programs, you know, oh, here's what you got to do to get yourself back on track. Um, even Christian ones, uh, they sort of build themselves on envy, don't they? Because they, I mean, they start off, they paint this picture of where you're at in life, and then they say, uh, you know, look, look at what you could have. Look at what all the people around you have. You know, shouldn't you have that? You know, here's, let us help you get to that place. Uh, where you can budget your, your money well and, um, and get yourself to that place. Uh, now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong uh, with, with a good budget. I think there's a lot of good that come out of those programs. But I've always found it interesting that they sort of use that, uh, they, they sort of show you discontentment or, or give you a reason to be discontent and use that as motivation to here's why you should budget better, right? It's very interesting to me. So envy is just very sneaky like that, I think, because that is a good thing, right? You should budget your money well, and yet, uh, yeah, it, it sneaks its way in there. We can also envy the qualities that another person has. We covet the athletic ability of someone or uh, maybe their charisma, their speaking ability. I know all of you right now are probably envious of how well I speak up here right now. <laughs> and I can joke about that because Pastor Eric hasn't preached on pride yet. So, I, th- I think that excuses me, right? At least until then. Envy admission number three. I have envied other people's charisma, thinking to myself that, you know, I could use that for the glory of God, uh, especially when you see, like, non-Christians who, who have these natural giftings or talents. Uh, you look at them, and you're like, ah, you know, but I'm working for God. Like, if I had that, you know, I could just, I could do better um, and, 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 and do it for the glory of God and not, you know, for these vain reasons that this guy is using it for. Um, you know, maybe you envy those that are taller than you or prettier than you. Um, I think that this is common for all of us to, to experience, at least at some point in our life. You know, we're, we're so insecure in ourselves. But we can also envy things like the blessings of others. Um, take, for instance, the infertile couple who struggles watching the friends and family. Uh, and uh, family members all conceive as they continue to not conceive. We can envy the good fortunes of others, such as their health. You know, maybe you're in and out of the hospital constantly, uh, and you look at the people that are roughly your age, and they're not struggling as much as you are. Uh, in a darker example, perhaps, we can envy the drunk, dar- uh, drunk driver uh, who lived while those that he got in the accident with perished. There are many passages in Scripture questioning the prosperity and good fortune of the wicked. We see the psalmist in Psalm 73.3 say that he was envious when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so I I think that there is a natural tendency that, again, you look at these injustices in, in your heart 
um, can start to develop those envious roots. Um, and yet scripture says, do not, do not worry about the prosperity of the wicked because they will get theirs in the end, that God will judge um, all of man. And those found without Christ uh, will be left with nothing to stand on. So those are the things that we, uh, that we envy. But what are the characteristics of envy? You know, what does it look like? What is ultimately a sorrow, as I've said? Um, envy breeds within us all sorts of things. But it all starts with a sorrow feeling. The feeling that we're missing out on something. Um, Joseph Epstein wrote that <clears throat> um, under capitalism, man envies man. And under socialism, vice versa. I thought that was a pretty good quote. Because um, <clears throat> like, it doesn't matter who you are uh, or where you're at in life. It just naturally, envy just has a, a, a way of naturally building itself up in us. Uh, and so even if you have completely different values in life than the person next to you, uh, you likely are going to end up envying uh, something just like the other person envies something else. Um, <clears throat> We all tend to desire that which we don't have. And envy creates within us a desire for more. Or maybe, maybe not necessarily more, but even just something different. And it is tragic that through envy, all other sorts of sin can crop up and take a hold of our hearts. Uh, you look, uh, look at scripture. I mean, scripture shows us that uh, envy can cause us to murder. You know, what was the very first murder caused by? Cain and Abel, you know, uh, Cain sees that Abel is, is receiving praise from God for, for his offering, and he's envious of that. Um, and so he decides in his heart that he should take out his brother. And you look at Joseph and his brothers, right? Uh, they're envious and, and jealous of, of uh, the relationship that Joseph has with his father. And so they decide, well, originally they say, let's kill him, and uh, they get talked out of that to simply selling him into slavery. Envy can cause us to be bitter and to resent others for their successes. Look at Leah and Rachel. Um, you know, again, uh, as one is conceiving while the other one wants to, and uh, one wants the love of Jacob and the other one uh, has it. Um, we can envy uh, the giftings of other people. Saul, King Saul in uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Uh, <clears throat> he looks at David, right? And uh, I remember that there's that, uh, passage that talks about David is, is going on all these military conquests and he's having all this success and, and the people start singing songs about, uh, you know, Saul has his, uh, I forget the exact words, but Saul has his thousands and, and David has his tens of thousands. And Saul decides that he wants to take out David as well. Um, but it can cause us all sorts of other feelings. It can cause us to feel entitled to certain things that we are not actually entitled to. Uh, it can cause us to resent other people um, and cause us to be bitter, cause us to uh, be stuck uh, in our lives and where we're at. Another characteristic about envy is that, interestingly enough, you know, you look at the uh, seven deadly sins, and I think Pastor Eric maybe even made a joke about it at one point, but, you know, like, oh, what's your favorite sin, you know, of the seven deadly sins? Um, and... Uh, the interesting thing is that envy is the only one, I think, that no one would say. Like, there's no, there's no pleasure uh, in partaking in envy. It's just something that happens to you, and you go along with it. Um, you know, there, there's, no, there's no enjoyment in it. 
And it's also uh, one of the most veiled, I think, of, of the seven deadly sins. Um, meaning you might not think that you struggle with envy like I did, uh, but if you're brave enough to dig, you might discover a whole lot of envy that has taken hold of your heart. It requires being uncovered to notice it. Rarely does it kind of reveal itself uh, in an obvious way. And it's unsettling to dig for it because envy represents us at our most vile. As John Chrysostom said, uh, John Chrysostom said it is the antithesis of loving our enemies, since the envious man will hate even a friend if that friend is fortunate. So as I've said, envy strikes everyone on some level. But I think the people who are especially at risk are the particularly ambitious, see there's an eloquent tongue I was talking about, and the particularly unambitious. The ambitious always have someone that is above them in rank or position, uh, and so they always have a visible reminder uh, of where they want to be, but they are not currently at. A mayor might be looking at the governor. Governor perhaps is looking at the Senate, um, etc. H.L. Uh, Mencken said, In America, contentment is making $10 a month more than your brother-in-law. <laughs> I think that that's probably true for a lot of people. You know, you just want to be doing a little bit better, right? That's... That's where we get the sense of contentment. <clears throat> but the unambitious are at risk, too, of hating the successes of others uh, that they themselves have not worked for. And they'll say things like, well, I could have written a New York Times bestseller as well if I, you know, if I wanted to. Uh, or, you know, well, I could have gotten that promotion, too, if I was just a brown noser like that guy. You know, uh, it, it, it has a tendency to sort of work itself in those ways. And so now uh, the unambitious, you know, those who are not working uh, for the things that they don't have, envy can take hold there and, and, and just dismiss, I think, um, what they go through. Um, another characteristic of envy is that I think it, uh, it maximizes uh, what other people have and minimizes what you have. Because a tendency to look at what other people have and say, they've got it all. And to look at your own life and say, I have nothing. Woe is me. And I need something more. Um, when envy has captured our hearts and holds it hostage and causes us to sin in other ways, we talked about a few extremes such as murder, uh, but for many of us it causes us to sin in quieter ways. It might cause us to manipulate others in hopes that they will grant us what we seek or desire uh, and then resent them or grow bitter when they don't. Envy usually comes with a sense of entitlement. Uh, you know, I deserve that night house, nice house. I've, I've worked hard, or uh, perhaps more tragically, you know, I should be the one with him or her. Um, you know, when envy has captured... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, envy admission number four <laughs> uh, for me. I remember while I was an undergrad uh, at Moody Babu Institute, I was struggling to come up with the money to remain in school. Moody is great. They've got free tuition for all their students. Uh, but they, at the time at least, uh, you could not really do student loans. And so you still had to pay your room and board, and you had to pay it all up, at front, uh, you know, all up front at once. And so 11000 a year is a lot to come up with, um, with, with no other financial aid available to you. Um, so I was struggling with that, trying to get the money to, to stay in school and to continue studying the Bible so that I could go into ministry. Um, and I remember there was a floor mate of mine who was going through the same exact thing, you know. Um, 
however, his church had decided that they wanted to support him and paid his balance for that semester. And I was envious. I was. I mean, I, I wanted to be at school. I loved going to class uh, and learning about God and, and, and the Bible. And, you know, I felt I deserved that money way more than he did. Um, he never went to class, this guy. He would often cheat on his homework. He would skip chapels. You know, and so you look at this guy and you're like, come on, like, I deserve this, you know. I would actually go to most of my classes and, you know, I would only skip a few chapels, right? And uh, <clears throat> No, I mean, you, you know, you think of yourself as better than that person. You know, he never went to class, you know, and, and uh, you know, but I, I wasn't, you know, perfect either. You know, I would skip more than I probably should have, you know. Those 11 a.m. classes are very hard to get up for in the morning. Uh <laughs> I wish I was joking when I said that. <laughs> when, you, when you're on a floor with 50 other guys, you don't go to bed until 3 or 4 in the morning every night. And so 11 a.m. comes very quickly. But I remember, you know, I felt resentment towards this brother in Christ of mine. Um, you know, I, why should he get this? You know, I should get this. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than him. Right? And so envy begins to work its poison in my heart. So what is the antidote then? Many of you have probably heard the well-known analogy that goes resentment, I would say resentment from envy, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So what is the antidote? The, the answer, of course, is always Jesus. But how exactly through Jesus do we experience that freedom from envy? As I said earlier, ultimately envy is a feeling of sorrow from discontentment. When we struggle with envy, we are not satisfied with where we currently stand uh, in life. We are currently in the Lenten season where we reflect on our sins as we lead up to Good Friday, confess them, and then rejoice in the new life we all experience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. We die to our sins and we live this new life led by the Holy Spirit to lead us to a faithful life of service to the Lord. Our God cares for us. He has promised to provide for us. Rest in that. As difficult as it may be, rest in that. God is going to take care of you. Rest in how God has made you and what he has given you and what he has called you to. God says that he cares for all the sparrows. And how much more should he care for you? And the sparrows were pennies rest proverbs 14:30 says a tranquil heart a peaceful heart gives life to the flesh but envy rots the bone if you allow it to set in it will destroy you there is relief in trusting god with these things for the envy simply stemming from our dissatisfaction with how God made us, what he has given us, or what our position in life is, we can look to our passage in 1 Peter 2. only took me getting my last page to actually get to that passage. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 3 had it in there. We are commanded by the Apostle Peter through the scriptures to put away the envy in our heart. Learn to be content 
and trust that God has you where he has you. The key phrase from these verses is some tough love. Grow up is basically what that passage is saying. Grow up. Do not worry about what other people have. Do not worry about what you don't have. So you don't have the nicest house on the block, or your kids didn't get into Yale, or you can't sing as well as the members of our praise team. Grow up. It's okay. God has made you a particular way. He has certain things for you. Uh, He loves you, and he has you in the places that he has you to maximize his glory. So the question then is, how do you grow up? Well, the passage tells us to long for the spiritual milk. That is, the things that develop our faith, things that can help us mature. Seek out the Lord through scripture, through fellowship with the other believers here. Uh, Seek to align your will with God's will through fervent prayer, through loving others. These things will cause you to mature in your faith, uh, and you will slowly no longer covet the things that you don't have uh, when you when you begin to mature in those ways. But that's if you have envy of a physical, uh, of a more physical nature. Uh, and I alluded to uh, another kind of envy that can happen, a sort of resentful bitterness uh, that can come from envy, that comes from the injustices or the trauma or the lo- uh, loss in our lives. This is envy that does not resent a person or a being, but rather a somber reality that exists. I think of my mom, uh, whose husband left her for another woman, leaving her with three kids, uh, no skills, just a high school education. Um, My mom has worked harder than anyone I've ever known in my life uh, and has probably less to show for it than most that I know. you think about that, uh, <clears throat> and you know, and, and, and you compare that. You know, the the husband that left her uh, currently has a comfortable lifestyle. He's got his own family, more kids, and uh, you know, doing great in life. And so, it'd be really easy to look at that and to, to envy that. You know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't talked to my mom a ton about this. You know, but I, I can only imagine that. You know, you mourn what could have been in that situation. You know, what should have been. Um, I think of the the saints here at Kish that have passed on in recent months or even recent years. Uh, Just in the last three months, we've lost three or four people from our church. Um, And so many of you are grieving those losses right now. Um, And is it wrong to, to grieve the life that could have been if they were around just a little longer? Some of, some of you have suffered trauma at the hands of another person, someone who has done much harm to you, who has abused you in some way or hurt you. It's okay to cry about those things. The challenge is to not let envy get a hold. Pastor John Piper, um, if you don't know who he is, he's... Uh, pastor out in Minneapolis but he offers gentle encouragement and strength I think to continue on he says occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be grieve the losses then wash your face 
trust God and embrace the life you have. That's a tweet, by the way. 140 characters going a long way. You know, most of you know that uh, I lost my nephew just over a month ago, 27 years old. You know, I'm grieving that. And it's healthy to mourn it. But there is a real danger that in our immense grief and our sense of loss, that we allow envy and resentment to take a hold of our hearts and to allow that poison to set in and begin to destroy the good things that remain here in life. So again, as, as John Piper said, mourn the losses that you have. But it is critical that you do wash your face at some point and get up and carry on. Good Friday and Easter are fast approaching. And this is glorious hope for us all. Whether we feel dissatisfied or are grieving, we have the opportunity to kneel together at the cross this Easter season, to rise up and rejoice together in the victory that Christ gives us, the hope that resurrection brings, and take hope, because there is a, a great hope out there. Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. So if you are discontent, if you are upset with the way things have gone, or you feel like you're missing something, God has promised us a glorious future. And he invites us to join in that future with him. So let us be faithful to him while we await that future where all decay is overturned and where we rest in the abundant life that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a good God. for being faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to you for being ungrateful uh, or for loving us despite our ungratefulness towards you for providing for us when we spit in your face we thank you that you loved us enough to not allow ourselves to, to succumb to ourselves but but rather you sent your son to die for us, to be freed from these things that can ensnare us. We pray for uh, just all the people here, Lord, as they, uh, many of us uh, struggle with envy in some way or another. Lord, help us to rest in what you've called us to here today. Help us to rest uh, knowing that the future is going to be great, uh, that you've promised us just amazing things in the future. 
We thank you that you didn't leave the world to itself, but that you promised to make all things new, that you promised to take all the decay and overturn that, and giving everything, including us, new life. We thank you for that. Father, go with us. Uh, Help us to uh, be faithful to you. Help us to not long for uh, the material things of this world, to long for the gifts of others, but rather to rest in you and the things that you've given us and the things that you've called us to. Pray these things in your name. Amen.